In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is Christ is baptized. Thank you. Are you laughing? It is. It's nice. We continue celebrating the Theophany of Christ. We're in what's called the After Feast. And uh, so we heard in today's Gospel reading what, what happened immediately after Christ's baptism. His ministry began. And one of my favorite one of my favorite lines around this season was read in today's gospel. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Remember, remember we call Theophany the Feast of Lights because the light of God was revealed, the immaterial light, the light which enlightens the whole world. And as I was reflecting on today's gospel reading, one other thing stood out to me. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it got me thinking, we talk about the kingdom a lot. The kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of God. I did a quick search in the New Testament and I saw, I, I looked up kingdom of God. It appears... 70 times in the New Testament, that phrase, kingdom of heaven, I think about 45 times. And that little, relatively small portion of the scripture is the New Testament. That means it's significant. Reminded me when I was doing biblical studies, someone did a technical study on the word and in the New Testament. That shows up a lot more than kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. But still, the frequency of that, of those two phrases indicate their importance. And I think the answer actually is fairly simple. Fairly simple. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? It's where God is king. In order for it to be a kingdom, it has to have a king. So the question being begged of us then, to whom is revealed the kingdom, is do we accept him as our king and therefore is God's kingdom our place, our dwelling place? We call him the king of all, king of kings, lord of lords. Above all, we call him Pantocrator. You ever heard of that term, Pantocrator? That is the... uh, the name given to this icon. That'd be a good picture to take me pointing at that icon. Um, Pantocrator, meaning ruler over all. Like El Shaddai, God Almighty, Pantocrator. And of course, we put it way up high in the cupola or the dome of the church to bear witness to the fact that He is our King. And He is overall. Remember, that the church is only a microcosm of what the world was created to be. The very place under which God is King and Lord. 
We take what we learn here and we carry it with us everywhere we go. You don't have to have a little umbrella with a Pantocrator icon in there to remind yourself, you know, everywhere. Because he is Lord of all. For his rational creatures, the kingdom of God is revealed and manifested where his authority is ascribed, where we accept his authority in the midst of his people. Authority is recognized by way of confidence. And I think actually for me, one of the most essential human questions is what is my source of authority. We're all, you've probably, if you've talked to me, spoken with me, if you probably heard me say, we're all subject to the authority of our own conscience. <clears throat> Meaning we have the ability to, to decide. We have to think about things. We have to come to conclusions on the basis of our rational faculty. We're all subject to the authority of our own conscience. conscience but there's always something greater than ourselves. We're finite. So what is it that we ascribe to? What is my source of authority? And then whatever we recognize as being our authority is that which we put our trust and our confidence in. I believe that Safeway will be open on Monday. What shatters your confidence if you go there and they just randomly closed? Of course, my friend will open the, uh, answer the phone when I call. What? You always answer. Where are you? You start texting them. Is everything okay? You know? I mean, there are all kinds of things that we take for granted and we presuppose in our lives. And what we accept as authority is recognized by way of what we trust, what we have confidence in, and actually what we submit ourselves to. How we operate. We all operate as those who are in obedience to certain presuppositions and certain things. One of the most essential questions then is what am I obedient to? What do I believe in in such a way as I, you know, I follow it? The questioning of our own presuppositions is an important one. That might be another homily. Do we trust in Christ as God? Do we really believe that Christ is God? Do we really treat him as our king? Not just our cosmic buddy. If we really do, then we must understand that he's the ultimate servant leader who says to us, each and every one of us, follow me. It's actually easy to submit to the authority of a glorious leader it's harder to follow someone who says, follow me by way of self-sacrifice. Can't I just say you're Ponto Crater and have your icon, you know, up on the wall and is that good enough? But that's not enough. He's a leader worth following though. But are we only truly following him if we live as those just trust in trusting in his authority. Where will trust in his authority lead us? 
Where does trust in the authority of Christ lead us? It'll lead us to where He is. It'll lead us to the Father. And only when we retain this point of reference of Christ and His authority and following Him as a way, then we will, in the words of St. Paul in today's epistle reading, we will all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature personhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So some important questions for today. For today. Do I trust, do I really, really trust God? Do I trust Him? Does the way that I live reveal that I really trust Him? Or does it reveal that I say that I trust Him? Well, I really trust in other things. While finding stability in temporal things. Like that Safeway's open 24-7. And I can get my kettle chips when I want them. And it's a bummer when you get, even if Safeway's open and then they're out, they're out of kettle chips, it's really sad. You know, that's a good point. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. No. <laughs> Is he the source of authority in my life? Is he really the source of authority in my life? And have I given my will over to his perfect will by trusting him? That's a lot of questions, but all really just to say, do I really trust him? Do I really have confidence in him over and above everything? So that when something goes out of whack or out of ordinary in the temporal, I'm not so stifled that I forget to trust in him. Maybe it's for my benefit that they're out of kettle chips. Or whatever it may be. Maybe you like, uh, maybe you have a more sophisticated taste. Hummus and pita chips. When I was thinking about the kingdom of God, the writings of one of the church fathers popped into my mind. And I decided I wanted to share a fairly lengthy quote from St. John Cassian with you. Don't be too impressed by the size of the book. I'm only quoting from the beginning. You can be impressed when I'm quoting from the end of the book. But this is from the first, it's called the first conference. St. John Cassian was a Roman who traveled to the deserts of Egypt to meet with some of the hermits and hold conferences with them and discuss the spiritual life and to figure out what, it, what is essential People who live, who, who actually embrace voluntary poverty and simplicity come to understand what it is that I truly need. They either fall terribly subject to their addictions and passions and desires, like become totally chained by their sense of necessity. I don't have anything. I can't have and they fix it. Or they realize I need very little they come to the realization of the one needful thing. And out of the lives of people who have lived with such intentionality has come incredible depths of wisdom. When I only have a limited supply of water, then I start to understand what it means to call the Holy Spirit the water of life. 
when I have very little food and variety of food, I really come to understand what it means when Christ says, I am the bread of life, and when he says, man does not live on bread alone. So people would flee to the desert to come to the realization of what it means to be truly human and fight major battles against themselves. And many of them surfaced as victors in Christ. And then others would go to them. Strangely enough, they would go to the desert, the most dry and arid place, as to a spiritual oasis. To be watered, to be nourished, to, be, to have their thirst quenched. So in this big book, St. John Cassian and his friend Germanus journey from hermit to hermit, having conferences, having discussions. And I want to read from the first conference. If I can remember what it is I said that I wanted to read to you. Here it is. So they're talking to this Abba Moses. And he says, and look, look how like earthy the metaphors are, how practical they are. they are. All the arts and disciplines, he said, have a certain scopos or goal and a telos or end the end that is proper to them. Every art and discipline has a goal and an end that's proper to them on which the lover of any art sets his gaze and for which he calmly and gladly endures every labor and every danger and every expense. I just have to finish this project no matter what. For the farmer, avoiding neither the torrid rays of the sun one time nor the frost and ice another he tirelessly tills the soil and subdues the unyielding clumps of earth with his frequent plowing. And all the while he keeps his goal in mind that once it has been cleared of all the briars and every weed has been uprooted by his hard work, he may break the soil into something as fine as sand. In no other way does he believe that he will achieve this end, which is to have a rich harvest and an abundant crop with which he may thenceforth both live his life in security and increase his substance. Laboring in dedicated fashion, he even willingly removes produce from his well-stocked barns and puts it in crumbling ditches. He uses it to fertilize. Not thinking of the present lack when he reflects on the future harvest. Likewise, those who are accustomed to engage in commerce do not fear the uncertain behavior of the sea. Nor are they afraid of any risks, since they're spurred on by the winged hope to the end of profit. Neither are those who are inflamed by worldly military ambition, seeking as they do the end of honors and power. Neither are they conscious of calamities and the dangers of their long treks, nor are they crushed by the present fatigue and wars, since they wish to attain the end of high rank which they have set for themselves. What would you do for a million dollars? 
What harshness would you endure? Would you shave your head? Would you shave your eyebrows off? Would you fast for 10 days if I told you I could give you a million dollars? Yeah? What about the unending riches of the kingdom of God? What would you do for the kingdom of God? He continues, Our profession, that of being a Christian, and particularly a hermit, but our profession has a goal proper to itself and its own end, on behalf of which we tirelessly and even gladly expend all our efforts. For its sake, the hunger of fasting does not weary us. The exhaustion of keeping vigil delights us. And the continual reading and meditation on Scripture does not satisfy us. Even the unceasing labor, the being stripped and deprived of everything, and to the horror of this vast solitude, does not deter us. Without doubt, it's for its sake that you yourselves have spurred the affection of relatives, despised your homeland and the delights of the world, and have journeyed through so many foreign parts in order to come to us, us men rude and unlearned, living harshly in the desert. Remember, St. John had to journey by land and sea. He did not get to take an airplane to Egypt. Tell me, therefore, he asked, what is your goal? And what is your end which drives you to endure all these things so willingly? And when he insisted on having our answer to this question, we replied that we bore all these things for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. For the sake of the kingdom of heaven. On hearing this, he said, Good, you have spoken well. Spoken well about your end. But before anything else, you should know what ought to be our goal. And constantly clinging to which we may be able to attain our end. The end of our profession, as we have said, is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. But our goal is purity of heart, without which it is impossible for anyone to reach that end. Fixing our gaze on this goal, then, as on a definite mark, we shall take the most direct route. And he also says, Whatever, therefore, can direct us to this goal, which is purity of heart, is to be pursued with all of our strength. Whatever leads us to purity of heart is to be pursued with all of our strength. But whatever deters us from this is to be avoided as dangerous and harmful. The goal is purity of heart, is holiness, and the end is the kingdom of heaven. And when we fixate on this and the kingdom, we know what to do. We will strive to do all that we can to avail ourselves to it. And we have hope because it's been revealed too. It's already been revealed. It is at hand. Christ said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as we take more seriously our goal in purifying our hearts, our goal of holiness... We work not only toward entering into the kingdom at the end of time, but experiencing it even now. The heart itself, when we take this seriously, 
The heart itself becomes like an intercom between heaven and earth. Between eternity and temporality, between God and man. Do you have the desire to have this kind of intercom? I do. I do. This connection with God within yourself is something worthy of desiring. I think I'll wrap it up here. When we allow ourselves to be awesomely penetrated by the desire of desires, the desire for the kingdom of God, which is no less than union with God. And this desire, if we allow allow it to drive us, it can serve as our meaning and our purpose in everything that we do. Everything that we do. For the Christian who's chosen to be governed by the desire for God and God alone, everything he or she does becomes a means to that end. Everything you do becomes a means to attaining the kingdom of God. To spend eternity in the presence of God. So if this is our end, and we fix ourselves on it, then every struggle will be endured, and every joy will not be seen as an end in itself, but will be understood rightly. Remember, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, beloved in Christ, let us trust in Him and live with a profound sense of purpose. Today, living and striving for purity of heart by means of repentance. This is our goal. The constant turning of our attention to God. The acquisition of holiness and purity of heart so that we may reach our end the attainment of the kingdom of God. There's nothing better. Amen.